All right, good morning. Good, sounds good. Ask you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. This will be our last in our series from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, start in verse 10 and go through the end of the chapter, verse 23. This will be the end of this next week. We'll begin a series in 1 Corinthians 15, focusing in on the resurrection as we will look toward Easter. It's just a few weeks away. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but Easter is just a few weeks away. We're excited about it. So we'll focus in on that through 1 Corinthians 15 over the next few weeks. Thankful, thankful to be able to look there. One little note, today is the last Sunday of the month. And here at Taylor's First, on the last Sunday of the month, we have a church conference in our services. So at the end of this service, we'll have a church conference just to let you know so you're not caught unaware. If you're a guest with us, you'll feel free to leave and step out. We'll have a gift for you. We'd love to speak with you out in the Welcome Center. If you're one of ours as a member here, we'd love for you just to have a seat. It won't take but a few minutes. So that'll come at the end of it. And I'm telling y'all that at the beginning to hold myself accountable, to give us enough time to do this. So I won't preach too long. But as Paul says in Philippians, finally, and then he goes on for another two chapters, um, <laughs> it may be the case here this morning. We'll see. We'll see. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, we have come. There's so many passages in Philippians with verses that we recognize and we know, verses that mean so much to us. I mean, he who began a good work in you will perfect it and keep it in completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for Christ's sake. I mean, you got so many. We, our citizenship is in heaven, not here. So many passages in the book of Philippians that are so memorable. And this morning we have one as well. Philippians chapter four, I mean, Paul having kind of laid all of that out for them. Now he closes out the book of Philippians with these words, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's true. And God, now as we 
come together, gathered around your word, having already sung of the Christ Jesus who has saved us and redeemed us and risen again, seated on the throne, having already sung of the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior to us all. We now come and gather around his word to proclaim his truth for all of us to hear. And we pray, Father, we pray that your spirit will be amongst us working through your word to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And if someone be here today that doesn't know Christ and has not found their satisfaction in him, may today be the day that you, God, by your spirit will show Christ Jesus to be who he is in their life. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, and it's good for us in Christ's name. Amen. We end the letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul discussing money. Discussing money. Many pastors nowadays are kind of hesitant to talk about money. And there are reasons. If you do demographic studies or questionnaires, many first-time guests, what they're fearful of is all they'll hear about is money and how the church needs your money. So you're scared to make that impression. We don't want to make that impression. People are suspicious when they hear that all the time. Pastors don't want to seem greedy or to be considered among the uh, prosperity preachers of our day that make money the sole sign of God's blessing. We don't want that to be hanging upon us. So sometimes for us, it's better just to step back and, and not speak about it or talk about it. But that's, that's not what the Apostle Paul does. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul addresses it here. And he had a reason, because the very reason that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to him was to bring a gift of money. In other words, this letter to the Philippians is responding to a gift that the Philippians sent. And he's sending Epaphroditus back with this letter to say thank you, to encourage them and to strengthen them. So the occasion here, the occasion being a financial gift that was sent to him, Paul wants to address that to help the Philippians understand what that means and how this operates and how it works. His desire seems to be to give the, the Philippians some principles to live off of, some principles to live by, especially when it comes to this idea of money. It reminds me of the financial advice I received in a, what I would call an odd place. I was in church history class and Southern Seminary. In church history class, the professor one day came in and he gave advice that John Wesley gave. John Wesley, uh, of course, I'm at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We make a point to put the in front of it, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And yet it was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who he brought in one day and he said, uh, of course, he's dead. He didn't come in personally, but he brought in this sermon with John Wesley on the use of money. And Wesley was writing in this sermon about how he as a pastor, he as a pastor had a woman come to him who had nothing. It was cold. She had nothing to wear. She had no food. And she asked for some help. A woman that was in his church even. And he reached into his pocket, he said, and he had nothing to give her because he spent the entire day buying pictures to go on the wall, ways to adorn his house. And Wesley, with nothing to give her, says the Lord struck him at that moment. You have adorned the walls of your house and you have cost this woman her life, maybe. And so he began to think about money and how its proper use is for him. So changing the way he viewed money, he, he preached to his congregation a sermon entitled The Use of Money with Three Plain Rules, as he says. 
The first rule in money, John Wesley says, is to gain all you can. Get all you can, Wesley says. Understanding that the Lord has gifted you and given you talents and given you resources, use those to get all the money you possibly can get. Now, Wesley makes a point to say you do this in his words by honest industry. That means don't cheat or steal or do it illegally, but you do it to the best of your ability to gain as much money as you can. Gain all you can by honest, honest industry. Don't lose time. Don't be lazy. Get it and go. Get it and go. Gain all you can. The second rule was to save all you can. As Christians, we should recognize we should get all we can and save all we can. By saving all we can, what his point was is you don't spend it on idle things. Don't waste money. This is a gift from God. This is what he's blessed you with. So don't waste it. Don't, don't pour it out. Be a good steward of it. Use it for proper things. Use it for right things. Don't waste it upon ungodly things or wicked things. Don't waste your money. Gain all you can and save all you can, he says. And then the third principle, the third plain truth, recognizing that gaining all you can and saving all you can is not enough. In fact, he says you cannot stop there. You cannot stop there, especially as a Christian. That leads to that third rule. The one that has God at the center, Wesley said. Gain all you can, save all you can. And number three, give all you can. Give all you can. All of our money is the Lord's goods, Wesley says. Every dime we have, as Paul says to the Romans, what do you have that not, has not been given to you? And our recollection and our knowledge, everything we have has been a gift from God. Our gifts and talents that he's given us that we use to earn a living and money, all gifts from God. Everything we have is a gift from him, Wesley says. Therefore, we need to employ whatever God has gifted you with, whatever he has entrusted you with, employ it in doing good, all possible good, he says. Don't just gain it all. Don't just save it all, but give all you can away, Wesley says. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I believe the Apostle Paul would agree with this advice. The Apostle Paul would agree with what Wesley's saying in this. Now, surely it may be nuanced nowadays. You may have to figure out some things, but at its very heart, what he's saying is, is right. When it comes to money, it doesn't rule us or define us. We need to gain what we can, save what we can, and give what we can. Paul wants to go deeper than that in our passage, though. He wants to go to the very heart of the issue, our own heart and how we view things and how we view life, especially money and material possessions. He says here, as he looks at this, that our desire is to seek after contentment. And contentment is deeper than money can provide. It's greater than money can buy. The place to start here for Paul was to start with contentment. Now, I've already discussed this section in Philippians chapter 4. I've already discussed this section in a previous sermon in this series. It contains one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament. But here, the context is vitally important on getting a clear understanding of what Paul's intentions are, what his message is to the Philippians. And I truly believe that the message that Paul is offering up here in this passage to the Philippians is one of the most, if not the most important message for us today. Now, it serves the pastor well to say, this is the most important message I could possibly preach to you. And I might say that every week. Don't hold it against me. 
But when Paul is talking about here in finding contentment, gets to the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to the very heart of what it means to find our satisfaction and our joy. And Paul wants to be clear about a few things, some difficult things for him. He's received a gift from the Philippians. He wants to, to kind of do some disclaimers, if you will. He surely is grateful, but he doesn't want to overdo it, it seems like. He doesn't want it to, 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 for them to think that they feel obligated to send him another gift. He doesn't want them to think that, that he can't survive without their gift of money. He doesn't want them to think that at all. He wants to show his gratitude, but he wants to show his gratitude in a way to show that he is dependent not upon their gift, but upon the Lord who provides all things for him. So he kind of gives two disclaimers here. First, he, he's thankful mostly for their concern for him. What he's thankful for is that they have concern for him. He says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is thankful that they have concern for him. What this means is that their gift is not merely just the, a, a way for him to buy groceries for the week or to pay rent or something he has or, 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 or to fix his, fix his car or anything like that. That's not what he's after here. He says, that's fine, well and good. But what makes it better for me is that you care for me. What this, is, this gift to me shows me more so that you have concern for me. You love me. Now for the Apostle Paul, this is important. In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 kind of, I think, builds to this crescendo of how we come boldly into the throne of grace because our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has died for us, tearing down the separation and where we couldn't used to go in, now we can go in boldly and we can enter into that throne room. And he says a couple things, draw near to the Lord for what he has done, uh, hold fast to his truth. And then he says, do not neglect, do not neglect joining together gathering together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I love that passage. And here, I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. Do not neglect the assembling together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Paul is saying, it's not the gift that can buy me groceries today. It's not the financial gift that can maybe get me a new shirt. That's not what's most important. What's most important is you have spurred me on in the work that God has given to me. Now understand where Paul's at. He's in prison. Paul has been in prison. He, this has been a two-year process for the Apostle Paul. He was arrested over, over in, in, in Antioch, if you will, and he's brought across the, the, the ocean. He had a shipwreck, if you will, left on the island. He, he'd struggled. He'd appealed all the way up to Caesar. And now the next stop is Caesar. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. The next stop is Caesar. And it may mean, it may mean that Paul would be killed for preaching the gospel when he appeals to Caesar. This has gotten old, I'm sure. It's been a long, terrible process, I'm sure. Looking at him, circumstances, I, I'm sure that there's been days that the Apostle Paul would want to quit, would want to stop, would say, that's enough, I can't keep going. But then he gets a gift from the Philippians. The Philippians whom he went to and, and found them under a tree over by a river with Lydia and some others, and he began to preach the gospel. The Philippians who he went into prison and, and began to sing, and they had the earthquake, and, and then the Roman centurion believed, that Philippian jailer believed, those same Philippians who had sent him a gift before to Thessalonica, and even though Paul had been set aside and many were arguing against him, those same Philippians have loved him and cared for him all along the way, and those Philippians were spurring him on to keep going. And that's what Paul says. Now, as a, as a pastor, I want you to know many of you 
Many of you say all the time you're praying for me. Please keep that up. You cannot encourage me more than praying for me. Well, maybe one way you can. Being here. There's nothing more encouraging to a pastor than to gather in the room and the people are here. That's what is said in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake assembling together so that you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. There's nothing more, uh, more satisfying and more, more gracious to me than to see you here, to be a part of our church, to be a part of our ministry and to coming. By you coming spurs me on to keep going every single week, to keep preaching, to keep diving into the word, to keep loving, to keep serving. It spurs me on. That's exactly what Paul's saying. The money is fine. Thank you for the gift. But even better for that, you have spurred me on to love and good deeds. And our hearts, our hearts are knit together. Not because the gifts that have been given, because the love that is shared and demonstrated through gifts and service and what other means it may be. Paul wants to be clear. Thank you for the money, but there's something even greater than that from you. Your love for me. Your love for me. There's something even better than the money. And he goes on to say in verse, uh, in, in verse 11, not, he, he, he wants to be thankful for their concern for him, but he also says he's not in need before their gift arrived. Now, some have complained about this. Thanks, but didn't need it. You know, thank y'all. Look at what he says in verse 11. Not only that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul is saying, it wasn't as if I was in need necessarily when you gave me money, but you sent the money anyway. Now, some may be looking at that and going, that sounds kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like you give a gift to your aunt at Christmas and she says, thank you. Where'd you get it? How much you pay for it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You keep your receipt, you know? You, you, you get that backhanded kind of feel here, but I don't think that's what Paul's after. Paul doesn't want them to think that he's asking them to send more money. Paul doesn't want them to think that he's, he, he needs this in some way. God is taking care of Paul's needs. He, he knows that. So God, uh, God is watching over Paul, protecting him, and providing for him. So he wants them to know, thank you for your gift. It means the world to me because you've shown your love to me and my heart, and I am thankful for it. It spurs me on to keep going. Surely it paid for my groceries. Surely it bought me some things I needed. It cared for those needs that I have. But it's even better than that. My treasure is not in the money you send. My treasure is in the love that is with it, Paul says. It's in the love that is there. Paul would be fine with or without the money. But he can't imagine living without the love and prayers of the people of God behind him. He wants them to see that. And that for, because of that, Paul has found contentment. He's found contentment. Now, just quickly, three points here I want to make, and I'll, I'll borrow these from the Christ-centered exposition commentary. I was trying to come up with my own, realized they had some really good ones, so I'm going to use these today. First, contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. We've talked about this over and over again. Paul is saying it here. He says, I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Paul is saying it doesn't matter if I have a lot or I have a little, contentment is still there. Contentment is not determined by our circumstances. We've talked about this throughout the book of Philippians, and it's been Paul's main point pushing this. Living worthy of the gospel, recognizing that whether I'm in prison or I'm doing great, God is still on his throne. My treasure is found in Jesus Christ, and nobody can take that away from me, Paul says. Nobody can remove that. 
Nobody can rob me of my joy or my treasure, that contentment. And so why would I be in content in things that can be removed from me? Why would I be content in things that can be taken from me? Whether it's material possessions, whether it's even physical life, why would I be content with any of health or anything else? Those things can be taken away. Paul wants to see that his contentment is found in what is eternal and what is true. What is true. His contentment is found there, not in his circumstances. It does not increase or decrease based upon what we have or what we don't have. Contentment does not increase or decrease based upon the condition of our life or where we're at, the place that we're in or what we have, it does not go up and down with those things. It's found in what is central, what always remains. Now, to understand this, I think we have to understand the difference between a need and a want, all right? Now, if you're a parent, you know that this is about 50, at least 60% of your conversations. I need that. No, you don't. This is the difference between need and want. Y'all know what I'm saying? Anybody know, have had that conversation before? What you need is a glass of water and a piece of bread. That's all you need. You'll make it. You'll make it. You know what I'm saying? You need that. You don't need another meal. You know what I'm saying? Like the fifth one today. You don't need that. You just need this. This is what needs are. And the reason why this is so important is because needs become, become pivotal in this. Because we as a people think that we need things. We think we need stuff. They think that, that, that the things you need, but, but once you have them, what happens to our needs? We all know this to be the case. Once we think we need that, we get that, we realize what? It wasn't all it's cracked up to be. You know, it's like Christmas gifts growing up. We need that. We have to have that. We got to have it now. And then by January 2nd, we forgot we even got it. Why? Because we have a need and we think that thing is going to fulfill that need. And we find out rather quickly, it cannot fulfill the need. It's not enough. Because once you have it, the need is gone, right? Once you get something you need, then the need is disappeared. The need is gone. And now you've got another need that crops up that that can't fill anymore. We have new needs that can continue. Contentment. And I'll, I'll bear this out in a little bit. Contentment is found in Jesus. And here's why. Because we need him. We need him. We need him today. We need him this afternoon. We need him this evening. We need him tonight. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We need him tomorrow. We need him every week. We need him every hour. We need Jesus constantly, all the time. We will never stop needing him for all of eternity. We will need Christ Jesus there with us forever. We'll need him. So he's not, he's not just a simply a want. Hopefully he's something you want. He's, something you, he, he's someone you need desperately and you will never stop needing. Therefore, he's a true need. He's a true need for us. And so we learn that our circumstances are not determining our contentment. It's what we have. It's who we have in Christ. Because we'll never meet all of our needs in this life and in this world. Nothing will ever satisfy us here. Contentment. Contentment is not determined by our circumstances, but it's also learned. Contentment is learned. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't come natural to us. It must be cultivated. Paul says this twice. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, and abundance. 
He says it up in verse 11 as well. I have learned this. So our natural tendency is to feel like we have to keep going after things and keep grabbing stuff and keep pursuing after these things to get more and to get more and to get more. But what we have to learn is that Jesus is enough. He's enough. We know it happens. It doesn't just happen like in everyday life. For me, it happens in my head. You know what I'm saying? You see that new car roll by and you say, I need that new car. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I need a new boat because my boat's broken down all the time. Maybe y'all don't know about that, but I'll teach you about it. I need this. I need that because in these things, we think we will be fulfilled. In these things, we'll be satisfied finally with what we have. But when we get them, it's just something more. We have to learn. We have to learn, no, those things are material possessions that cannot ultimately satisfy us. We have to learn in our head. We have to remind ourselves constantly that that's not, that's not what we truly need. What we truly need, what we have to learn is that Jesus is enough for us. What we have to teach our kids is that Jesus is enough for us. Now you say that may be easy for some. That may be easy for some because they have a lot of material possessions. So Jesus is enough, surely. That's not what Jesus says though. Jesus says it's more difficult for those who are rich to realize contentment, right? He says it's even more difficult. Don't think that somebody else in some other position than you are in in your life will have this easier than you. All of us struggle with this truth. All of us struggle with realizing that that we don't need anything else other than Christ Jesus and that this world can never satisfy or bring those things that can find contentment for us. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the moment we realize this, the moment we realize this is the moment we can truly find contentment. Contentment. It's not based upon our circumstances. It is learned for us. We have to practice it, think about it, understand it. And contentment comes from our reliance upon Christ. This is verse 13 that we know so well. Paul says this is the secret. It's not a hidden secret. It's an it's a, it's a open secret. It's a public secret, if you will. From the secret of all of this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What we're talking about when we talk about contentment is a word that all of us are looking for, and that's satisfaction. We're all looking to be satisfied, and satisfaction comes from the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ and Him alone, while the world loves to pursue it in all other things. Paul is saying you can have all this stuff, you can have money, you can have wealth, you can have material possessions, but they cannot and will not satisfy you. It will never be enough for you. You will always be looking for something better. Those things will be fading away, passing out, rusting and dying. You've got to find something else. What he's talking about is what can satisfy us for eternity. And it's Christ Jesus who can bring us that. And it's not easy. He's not saying this is simple, but he's saying you have the strength of Christ Jesus in you to teach you this every single day. You don't need anything else. The world loves to quote this verse. They quote it whenever they're shooting a three-pointer, whenever they're, you know, throwing a touchdown pass, they write it on their shoes, they put it on their eye black, they do all of that stuff. In all kinds of circumstances, they quote those things. But what Paul is calling us to do here, what Paul is calling us to do here is much more difficult than throwing a touchdown pass in the NFL or making a three-pointer. It's much more difficult than any of that stuff you may be quoting for this. What he's calling us to do here is to rest and find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ the Lord. He's calling us to do that. And you may say, I can't do it. I I, I want too much. I I see all these things that I I wish I had. He says, no, no, no. 
rest in Christ Jesus, and he is enough. The world loves to quote these verses, but they quite miss the main point. From the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction, to you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. These are the themes of the world. And the whole world is in a quest for contentment. They're all looking for it and they can't find it. They're all looking for it and they can't grasp a hold of it. The moment they think they've got it, it just passes through their hands like sand and it's gone. And as long as you here today, as long as you may be looking for all this satisfaction and contentment in the world, as long as you are looking to the world to fulfill every desire that you have, you will never find satisfaction and you will never find what you're looking for. Jesus said to his disciples, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The devil steals your joy by making you to focus on what you don't have. By getting you to look at the things you don't have, wishing you have it, and your joy is robbed because you don't think you have enough. The devil kills your heart by constant disappointment and stuff. The moment you get it, you recognize it cannot get, it cannot do what you were hoping it would do for you. It's not enough. The devil destroys your life by a constant searching for something in this world that you can never find. Try this, and you try it, and it's not enough. Here's something else, the latest and the greatest. You try it, it's not enough. Try this again. Try that. Go get these things. Now, surely, what, the, what Paul is not telling us is that we should just be satisfied. Never seek for advancement in our jobs. Never seek for, for employment. Keep going. But remember what John Wesley said. Get all you can. What, the truth is, that's not it. What you know is you should be doing everything you can for your job, for the glory of God, knowing that God has you in that place for that time, for that purpose. But you also know that your identity and your contentment and your satisfaction are not found in that job. Not found in that place. They're found in Christ. The devil looks you for, wants to destroy your life by constant searching for something in this world that you can never find. Jeremiah tells the people of Israel, as they're looking for something that they can't find, looking away from God, he says, you just keeping wa keep drinking water from broken cisterns and there never will be enough. That's the way it is when we look to the world for our satisfaction. We're drinking water from broken cisterns and they cannot, they cannot satisfy. But Jesus though, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus though, he came to give life. Everything that the devil's trying to take away from you by getting you to buy into the lie of the world that this world can satisfy you, Jesus is coming and saying, no, you need to hear me today. It's not the world that can satisfy you. It's not stuff that can satisfy you. It's me. I came to give you life. Here I am. Call upon me. I will satisfy. I will sustain you. I will give you everything you could ever hope for and long for. First and foremost, I will bring forgiveness to your sins, your greatest need that is there. I'm the only one that can provide it. I will give you that. And not only will I give you life and life eternal, I will give it to you abundantly. And there Jesus is speaking about satisfaction and contentment. Not only will I give you all that you can hope for and long for in me, you'll finally, finally be satisfied and be content.
Why is that? Because it's Christ Jesus who satisfies us. It's Christ Jesus who fulfills us. It's Christ Jesus who brings contentment. The devil wants you to believe that life is all about your self-sufficiency. You figuring it out yourself. You surviving on your own. Even you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. But that's a worldly gospel that cannot bring salvation, hope, or satisfaction. Jesus says, it's all about Christ. It's all about me. Not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. He is enough. Paul said, before you ever deal with money, before you ever deal with those things, you've got to find contentment in Christ. If you don't find your contentment in Christ, you will never understand what money's about or what it's for. You'll never be satisfied with it. You'll never be finding what you're hoping you can find in it. It's not enough. But you've got to find your contentment here, he says. And when we find that contentment, what does he say? He says, look, when you find that contentment, He goes on in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Just a few words, Paul says here, flow from contentment. First is partnership. The idea of partnership comes in the fact that it's not all about me. It's about kingdom, right? It's about greater than me. See, if you're not content, then you're going to always be looking to yourself to satisfy yourself first before you can satisfy anybody else. But when you're content in Christ, then you don't care who gets the glory. Christ Jesus does. And I give away everything I can in partnership with anybody that is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Partnership begins with contentment. Partnership begins with contentment. As a pastor, I speak that most clearly. You've got to understand that other churches in our area, all around Greenville, that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ are not our enemy. We want them to grow. We want them to succeed. We want them to have Christ. We want more people to get saved. We want that. We can't reach our whole city by ourselves. They're not our enemy. we got to find contentment in who we are and what God has given us and placed us here to do. And we seek to partner with anybody that's doing that anywhere for the glory of God. And you're not going to do that until you find contentment in Christ. But you have more. Not only is partnership, but generosity. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, verse 16, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They've done this over and over again. This is not the first gift the Philippians had sent to Paul. They sent it to him when he was in prison in Thessalonica. They had cared for him there. And now they're doing it over and over again. They've constantly been doing this. Why? Because they know who Christ is. They've been content with him. And therefore they give generously. We realize even the dollar bills we have in our life are gifts from God. And therefore they should be properly stewarded as such. All our money, all our resources, all that we have is God's money and God's resources. And he's blessed us with this. So we steward it in a way that honors him. And there is no reason, there is absolutely no reason for the child of God who has Jesus Christ as all-sufficient Savior, as satisfaction for their soul, not to be generous. Not to be generous with what they have. There's no reason whatsoever. Because we have it all when we have Jesus. Money doesn't satisfy us. We give it away. Just as John Wesley said, get all you can, save all you can, give all you can. We give it away and we be generous. The Philippians had seen that. They content, generosity. But then finally you have one more. 
I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The language Paul used here is the language of worship. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable. When we truly find contentment, then we truly can come before the throne in worship with our full attention. With our full attention. When you truly find contentment in Christ, then you can truly worship him. You're not worried about the things of this world. You're not worried about what you don't have. You're not worried about what tomorrow brings. You're not worried about anything. All your focus is on the one who satisfies you and sustains you. All your focus is on the one who saved you, redeemed you, purchased you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, made you alive together with Christ. All your focus is on him, so you love him and you worship him. You praise him. And you can only truly do that, Paul says, when you are content and satisfied in him. Then it becomes offering of worship. Then it becomes an offering of worship. Contentment helps us to live out the Christian life in a way that honors and glorifies him. I want you to hear this, and I'll close with this. I want you to hear this verse, and I mean it this way. I mean it this way, as if Paul were writing this verse directly to you today. Of course, we know as he's writing it to the Philippians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it speaks to us today. But I want you to hear this verse as if Paul was writing this to you. I don't know what place you may be in in your life. You may not be satisfied with things going on. You may not be satisfied with where you are. You may be struggling to to find that contentment. You may be struggling to find that, that hope that tomorrow you can find it. You know, you're just looking for it. You're looking for something. You're longing for something and you are not satisfied with it. I want you to hear this verse verse from the apostle Paul. I want you to hear it today as if it was written because it is through the spirit of God directly to you. Listen to what he says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know where I can turn in scripture. I mean, there's some great passages But brothers and sisters, the promise that is there should send us to our knees, right? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Let that sink into your heart and to your soul. Don't just look past it this morning. Don't glaze over it. Don't think at all that you wish somebody else would hear this or you're hoping they're listening. Every single one of us struggle right here to trust in God, to take care of everything for us. The good times, the hard times, we struggle at this point. And what Paul is saying is the very heart of what it means to be a believer is to be satisfied and content in Christ, knowing that every one of your needs will be met. Will be met. Don't glaze over it. Stop looking for it in any other place, but look to Christ. Look to Jesus. And what I can tell you by way of testimony this morning, I'm sure countless of you in this room can say it as well, that when you look to Christ, you finally found what you were looking for. You finally found the satisfaction you couldn't find anywhere else. You finally found what it means to drink living water instead of water from broken cisterns. You finally found what it means to have your soul understand that today and for all eternity, every need you ever will have has been met in Christ Jesus. And you will never stop needing him. He will never 
ever stop being there for you. May that be the testimony of every single one of us. And it starts with the most important thing today. It starts with the most important thing. Trusting in him to save you from your sins. Your greatest need. Have you done that today? Have you trusted in Christ to save you from your sins? What he alone can do? Turn from them and call upon him? But more than that, are you looking for satisfaction and contentment in a world that will not give it to you, will not allow you to find it? It'll only dangle it in front of you and it's only paper satisfaction and fake. You can find it in Jesus. Look to him this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for it is good for us. Thank you for Christ who satisfies. And I pray that no one leaves this building today still looking for satisfaction and saying they can't find it. I pray that no one leaves here today, Father, still longing for something from this world and not looking to Jesus to satisfy all their needs. Father, Help each and every believer in this room to find their contentment in Christ and to learn it every day. And help everyone here to know that Jesus is enough. And may that be our testimony. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we even come. Stand together. I'll be here to receive you. If you want to trust in Jesus and find your satisfaction there, join our church. We'll be here. Let's sing this together.